0: Welcome to this week's edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we are broadcasting here on KTRL 90.5 FM and also online at tarletonradio.com. As you know, each week our shows are then recorded, put on SoundCloud, also where you can download your podcast. So we encourage you uh, to not only follow us, listen uh, each week at noon here on KTRL, uh, but also if you if you miss the broadcast to uh, download a podcast or to, to listen on SoundCloud, and also go to our Facebook page on Politics with Eric Morrow, where you'll find links to related articles as well as information on the show each week. So welcome to this edition. Uh, We're glad you're joining us today because we are going to look at something that is certainly happening on the national level, but has a lot of impact and and potential for what is happening in the state of Texas. And that is on June 15th, the Supreme Court uh, ruled that the civil rights law, the 1964 civil rights law, applies to LGBTQ workers Uh, granting uh, them protections in the workplace. And so what we're doing today is we're gonna dig into this a little bit. We're gonna look at some of the different aspects of it, especially uh, some of the issues and challenges here in Texas. And so I want to welcome to the show, Angela Hale, uh, who is a Dallas native, uh, former TV reporter and veteran journalist uh, at CBS KTVT Channel 11 in Dallas, Fort Worth. She is the managing partner of Red Media Group, a strategic communications and public affairs company. Uh, She led the communications effort for the legalization of gay marriage uh, for the Aiken Gump Law Firm and Texas plaintiffs. And she's been leading lobby and communication strategies for Equality Texas since 2015. Uh, Angela has also served in executive leadership, so she has legislative experience as well, which we know is great on this show because we talk policy. Uh, but she was worked in the leadership for the Speaker of the House and the Office of the Attorney General. So in with all that experience with what you currently do, Angela, uh, we are glad that you're joining us because this is a very interesting and, and challenging topic, I think. It's also one that as we focus on this show and trying to get information to people, uh, that many people just may not understand all the different facets of this. Uh, what this decision means, and, and even what was happening that kind of led up to this. So welcome to the show today, Angela. We're glad to have you. Thank you. So I just wanted to start out with an initial question of just from your perspective, given your 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 lobbying background, your work background with Equality Texas and with other efforts, what is really the significance of what happened on on June 15th? Uh, relating to this ruling of the Supreme Court in interpreting the 1964 Civil Rights Act?
1: It's a um, landmark decision in a series of landmark decisions that have come down from the Supreme Court in recent years, starting with marriage equality, actually the Windsor case prior to that. Um, And now with this workplace uh, discrimination issue, I think a lot of people did not realize previously before the ruling, and there was a lot of publicity around this ruling, that Texas is one one of 27 states where we did not have explicit um, protections under the law in Texas. So if I went to work and I put a picture of my wife up on my desk, I could be married in Texas, but I could also be fired from my job just because of being gay or being transgender. and. It wasn't based on work performance, so to me, that was inherently unfair, and what the Supreme Court determined with Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee, writing uh, a majority opinion for the court, he said that under the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the word sex means sexual orientation and gender identity, and that all people should be afforded the same level of protection under the law every single person in the United States. And what's significant also about that there have been a lot of court cases going up through the different circuits. So the Fifth Circuit, the Third Circuit, the Ninth Circuit uh, that came up with different conclusions about whether sex under the legal definition of the 1964 Civil Rights Act meant it protected sexual orientation and gender identity. And the Supreme Court has ruled that indeed it does protect and it does mean that under the Civil Rights Act, therefore people cannot be fired any longer in the United States in a very narrow decision really on just employment issues because there's a wide variety of other issues where people can still be discriminated against. But under employment decisions, you cannot be fired just because of who you are or who you love.
0: So I've noticed along that line. Speaking to the last point, uh, you said that uh, this deals with employ, employment issues, and and some of the things I read and in, in preparing for this interview and this really digging in myself uh, to some aspects of this, uh, that some are saying this is a qualified victory because there are a lot of these other areas to address. Where, uh, I, where do you either see this going, or what are some of those critical issues that? That uh, you think will be, especially on the federal level now that the Supreme Court has ruled on this, but what are some of the other areas to see this understood within the full context of, of rights and not just narrowly focused on one area?
1: Well, I think the, the most important part of the decision is that determination under the Civil Rights Act that sex means sexual orientation and gender identity. This is the first time that the Supreme Court has ruled on that and upheld it. So when we see, so currently it only protects unemployment, but if there's litigation on the Trump administration's implementation about health care or um, public accommodations or other areas of law, housing, Um, The Supreme Court's interpretation on sex as sexual orientation and gender identity, that being a precedent, would apply to all those other cases and areas of law, but that would require litigation to go back up to the Supreme Court again so that it would be um, codified once again by the Supreme Court. It doesn't automatically apply to all those areas, but because of precedent by the Supreme Court, it can apply to all of those areas, but it will take litigation. to continue up to the court to uh, have a confirmation, once again, through the Supreme Court. Or the other way to get there on, if you think about um, you know, somebody on, on the bathroom bill, and so that's a public accommodation. Public accommodation meets public spaces. If I'm gonna go to a restaurant, or I want to go to a hotel, or if I want to go to a convention, um, or if I wanna go to the bathroom at a public restroom, Um, Currently, in Texas, there is no public accommodations law. There is a public accommodations law at the federal level, but bringing protections in line for people who go about their everyday lives, so they can go shopping, they can go to a mechanic, they can go – they can carry on their lives without suddenly facing uh, discrimination, and those are areas of the law that both at the national level – there is something called the Equality Act that has been passed by the Texas that I'm sorry, the United States house of representatives, which carries into those areas of law. Uh, and so that would take either a piece of congressional legislation, passing that law, uh, or in statewide legislation, passing that law to be signed by the president or. The other route is litigation, taking all these cases up through the Supreme Court so that that same ruling that applies in employment goes across all these other areas of life where people are still discriminated against across the United Uh, States.
0: And and we've seen that uh, uh, in uh, in other areas of the application of civil rights law, how uh, that has worked over time. And it it is often on multiple fronts until you have a. Supreme Court case. And and so that that means there's a lot of different directions that this could go, I I would assume, probably in the immediate future, because there's probably some of these cases that are already in the mix somewhere. They just that just did not make it to that level yet uh, as as quickly as as this collection of cases, which I understand there were three different uh, cases that were ruled on. You know, turning this to Texas and you're talking about all of these different areas and not having the public accommodations law. Uh, Also looking at that there's been a long history here of discrimination and and challenges uh, for those that identify as LBGTQ. Um, uh, Why do you see this has been such a difficult issue in Texas? Uh, And and I ask that question because uh, on the show a week ago, I had Cal Gilson, a professor at SMU, and we talked about uh, political culture and how that's influencing uh, how people respond to government in the midst of a pandemic that's trying to give direction and, and so on. Um, I mean, is political culture in the mix here? What other elements do you see that, that ch- challenge, uh, 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 moving forward on some of these issues?
1: Well, I think historically, um, you know, we celebrated, I guess, Juneteenth on Friday and that was, uh, uh, Texas finally uh, agreeing that uh, federal civil rights laws apply to our state. I think sometimes in the south we might be behind on a variety of civil rights issues in southern states historically through the beginning of time and even now. I believe though as I've been working on this issue for you know a few years now that every session when we go back to the legislature that there's more and more support for equality for everyone under our state laws. And many Republicans that I work with in the legislature during the past session, uh, chairs of committees, I used to work for Speaker Strauss. Um, Speaker Strauss put out a tweet, I'm one of the 70% of Texans that support LGBTQ equality. He was uh, very, uh, strong and helpful in making a policy decision that this was bad for our state. It's bad for business. It's bad for the brand. It's bad for Texans who are not treated equally under the law. So, as each session has progressed, beginning if you go back to the bathroom bill, where there was a lot of hostility and a lot of, um, uh, I think we had to do some public education to educate people about what that meant, what a transgender woman meant, what, what a transgender child meant. There was a lot of education and we were ultimately primarily with the business coalition able to defeat that twice in a regular session and a special session. And of course, with the help of key Republicans in the legislature, Byron Cook, who was chair of state affairs, Todd Hunter, chair of calendars, Speaker Joe Strauss and many other Republicans, we could not have achieved where we are without them. During 2019, it was not as hostile going into many offices. In fact, many Republican lawmakers would say, look, this is not my issue. I don't want to discriminate against you. Uh, I don't think it's right. Um, and some would say, well, I'm voting my district. you know." Um, and what we've tried to show through polling and really a breakdown of individual districts is that actually the vast majority of Texans, 70%, do not support discrimination and do, and support a comprehensive non-discrimination law, and and if you look at uh, conventions that can be canceled, uh, there are, there are clauses and contracts for conventions now that if you even just talking about discriminatory legislation uh, or pa- possibly passing it during the 2017 session, we lost billions of dollars in business on conventions that could have been booked. And there's now a little clause that says, if you pass discriminatory legislation, that's an automatic cancellation of a contract. And as the uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, uh, has has spread all over the state and our convention and, in, and visitor industry has taken incredible hits uh, and lost a ton of money, uh, it's very important to the business community um, to make sure that diversity and inclusion are embraced by our state, that we don't pass discriminatory legislation. And this session, uh, because we've garnered so much bipartisan support, we still have a long way to go, don't get me wrong, the political implications that you're talking about, it's not like every Republican is on board, or every Democrat for that matter. But, we have uh, kind of – the house, The Texas House has always worked as kind of a governing majority, whether it was George W. Bush who, had, who was governor and Lieutenant Governor Bob Bullock, a Democrat, and Speaker Pete Laney. And through the years, there's always been a group in the middle, both Republicans and Democrats, who um, speak out, push, and work for good public policy that's in the middle, not on the extreme left or right, and that's where I think this issue is going in the future. Um, I think we have a lot of support and we have every session more and more people understanding that maybe didn't understand. I, I have people tell me all the time, I didn't understand that you could be um, denied entrance to a restaurant or that you could be, uh, couldn't be could go to the bathroom or that you couldn't go to a concert or, or whatever it may be. People did not understand that, that you could be fired or you could be turned away.
0: Uh, simply because you're LGBTQ. So I have a, a question that's somewhat related to that. And, and you had your uh, your experience working on the same-sex marriage issue. And as someone who's taught Texas government for a number of years, I would, uh, I use that issue for a long time as one of those social issues that was very challenging in terms of governance and policy. Uh, and then um, uh, I moved over to using uh uh, the, the transgender uh, bathroom debate as an issue as well to want to, to expose students to the challenges and the complexity of these issues and the different perspectives and, and have them do some research and, and try to understand that. I remember when, when I was uh, teaching on um, I and mean, using the, the uh, same-sex marriage issue and having their discussions and debate about it is that the polling in the state uh, certainly did not reflect the dominant view in the state legislature, and that is, it looked like that about a third of Texans were against it. A third, it, it it didn't really matter. You know, they weren't weren't necessarily for, they weren't necessarily for it. But it showed that they didn't think the government should tell people who who they can marry and who they couldn't. The, the other third was for it, and so the, the legislature certainly didn't follow along those lines. And of course, we know this one was resolved uh, by, a, um, a federal court case. But, uh, where do you see th- this issue? You talked a little bit about the change in the legislature. Um, it, and, and how does that align up with where the public in Texas is on this issue? Because it seems like that still has on some of these types of issues like that, where you, you, uh, you do have, uh, strong levels of, of say social conservatism in certain parts of the state that, that, lawmakers line up with their constituents and so on. But we've seen with these issues there, there is usually more widespread support to make these changes among the electorate than there are among the people who are are in office. And do you you see those kind of coming together at some point here now that that a decision like this is made based on looking back at at what happened with the uh, same-sex marriage issue?
1: Well, I think, uh, We've made progress and there's still a long way to go. And part of that is educating people and bringing people along. Um, I, I've said this, not on just this topic, but on many other topics that I work on You know, in the legislature is that often uh, the public uh, is way ahead of, of where the legislature is. And business on this issue you know, uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace at Fortune 500 companies has embraced been embraced for 20 to 30 years uh, mm-hmm. by every corporation almost in America, and by most small businesses and medium sized businesses. Even though uh, technically they're not, you know, required to do it, it is just a um, a way that you do business to attract the best and brightest talent. And so, I think the legislature always has to catch up both in technology, you know, and embracing technology that's implemented at the state government system and in in moving into a 21st century thinking about uh, what diversity and inclusion means. Um, And so, uh, you know, we've made progress. I think we'll make more progress in the next session. I still think it's going to be Um, multiple sessions and and a while to take this toward true equality for every person but each um, kind of you know the the legislature moves in increments and I always look at it it's the long game so we keep making progress each session to a point that we get to true equality but I believe the Texas public and these public opinion polls have been going up and up uh, over the years very rapidly especially since marriage equality came down from the Supreme Court, but even prior to that. Uh, you know, I'm a native Texan, I grew up in, in Dallas. Um, I'm just like your typical uh, Texan, that uh, Texans are respectful. They uh, don't believe in, in discriminating against people, or treating people unequally. There's a sense of fairness among Texans, and that's what I think is reflected in the polls. And I think going back, and and even some of our uh, legislators who come from very conservative areas, uh, Senator Kel Zelliger from Amarillo, for instance, uh, last session voted with us for the first time in the Texas Senate or Republican to vote against discriminatory legislation, SB 17, which would enable people to discriminate across all walks of life and every occupation against people just because they're LGBTQ. um, you know, Senator Zelliger is Jewish. I think that that could also could have allowed discrimination against uh, our, our Jewish friends or, you know, um, other religious minorities. And so maybe it's, it's meant to target just LGBTQ people, but it ends up having a broad cross section that also discriminates against other people in our state. And so I think that, you know, we continue to, to gain support from uh, people that maybe some people wouldn't think. Uh, are supportive of these issues, but when you sit down and talk to them, everybody is pretty reasonable. Um, especially the coalition, the go- governing coalition in the middle—that's always been the Texas Legislature.
0: All right, So we we saw that in uh, the previous session with the the just the economic influences related to the uh, the bathroom bill and and just how uh, the different. Uh, things that went through and the different groups that came out uh, uh, against that, especially in looking at it and its impact uh, economically. Um, we, we know this next session is going to be really focused on uh, first and foremost, probably the state budget, because uh, here I am at a state institution, and we're already seeing the impact, uh, at least on this cycle, and then what will happen uh, going forward. But but there are always a, a couple of signature issues that, that rise to the forefront in in addition to uh, the budget. Do, do you see this or, or related issues? And what type of uh, focus, what type of specific issues do you think will be uh, and, and what you're looking at and the work you're doing as well to be on the agenda uh, for this upcoming session that'll begin in January?
1: Well, we will be facing you know a deficit budget because of the coronavirus and all the loss in sales tax revenue, which is one of the major funders of the budget. Uh, last session, you know, they put $5 billion into education from the state level. Mm-hmm. They've been severely underfunded. And so that's going to be um, a problem moving to this, ne- this, se- this next session, funding properly education at the state level. And what uh, I find very interesting about the issue that we're talking about today is that we have hired uh, Ray, Ray Perryman who is one of the most respected economists. He's uh, in Texas and in the United States. He he worked for George W. Bush when he was governor. Uh, He worked for Rick Perry. He has the Perryman Group. He's done numerous economic studies, um, and he has done a study. We asked him to to conduct a study on what are the benefits of passing a comprehensive non-discrimination law through the Texas legislature in the next session. And uh, we have, we've unveiled the study, and I'm happy to send that to you so that you can you know, send it out to your listeners uh, and have them look at it. But what, what his determination is, is that embracing diversity and inclusion, passing a statewide nondiscrimination law, will create hundreds of thousands of jobs across the state of Texas, across every area of the state, from rural Texas to East Texas to Panhandle down to South Texas. By 2025, if it were passed during the next session, we'd create 180,000 new jobs statewide. We would also bring in, and this gets back to the deficit budget, an extra $2.8 billion in state tax receipts to the budget and an additional 2 billion to local governments. And by 2045, if it were endorsed, it would create over 700,000 jobs, bring 70 almost $74 billion to the state budget and $56 billion to local governments. So um, this is something that the legislature, as we try to, we've lost millions of jobs, we try to recover our economy, we try to help bring in revenues that's gonna build so that we can spend money on things like education and transportation and important public policy areas. By embracing diversity and inclusion, it gives Texas the competitive edge to compete on a global basis and to create hundreds of thousands of jobs, bring revenue to state and local governments, bring in about $20 billion in annual tech and tourism gross product just in five years and $1.3 trillion in 20 years. So it's a win-win for the economy. And we plan to make that case to uh, legislators as we move forward as part of the discussion on how to help the budget And how to do the right thing to protect all Texans so that no one is discriminated against in the next session and that's why we've conducted this study and why it will be a top priority um, for us and our business coalition and um a, a wide variety of people moving into the next session
0: that seems like in in the environment we're in especially the fiscal policy environment that that would be very appealing because one of the challenges is always in in the state legislature is uh, not only not uh, proposing any any new taxes in the in the the era that we're in and the way people are looking at at, at this, uh, but trying to find ways to to generate uh, additional uh, revenue. And it seems like that that messaging and certainly the way that you put it would be very appealing for those that would be looking at the other side of it. Okay, we're in a a state that runs a, a bare bones budget spends less per capita on government than any other state. How do we, how do we find ways to re- recover out of this? Uh, I also want to ask about specific policy areas. Do you, do you see based on this decision that it's, that's optimal time to move forward on uh, maybe housing or what are other areas that, that you would see that, that may be more aligned with state and even federal law Uh, in trying to advance the um, uh, rights in those areas, in addition to what's happened here, looking at the workplace.
1: So a comprehensive bill under the Perryman uh, study includes employment, uh, housing, and public accommodation. So we're looking at those three areas of law to be encompassed by a comprehensive bill with the study as the backbone of what passing those three areas of law would, do and help the Texas economy, therefore also protecting LGBTQ people in those two other areas of law and codifying into state law uh, employment because you talked about marriage equality and um, the bathroom bill. And and so it's important that it's also codified in state law because you've seen litigation when people don't want to accept what the Supreme Court has done. Therefore, uh, it's important to also codify it in state law.
0: Well, I wanna thank you for joining us today. Uh, this has been, this is very informative uh, in, in looking at what has happened and understanding this decision of the Supreme Court is as, as not only a landmark decision, but uh, really moving uh, this in in a direction in a number of ways. Uh, I seem to see, and especially in what you're saying is that that if Texas is able to move forward with, uh, with this on the legislative agenda and address some of these issues, uh, that that texas could be uh want to uh, join kind of some of the leading states uh in the level of accommodations in uh the 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 view of this in terms of civil rights and uh, the opportunities for LGBTq people uh, is that is that where you you see this? I know you 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 look at it for the long term, and I know Texas is a is can be a very challenging place to work in terms of policy with a, a part-time legislature and then and then other factors you work against. but uh, how, how do you see this in the in the coming years?
1: Well, I think um, throughout uh, history, at least in recent history since i've I've worked for Uh, Greg Abbott, when he was attorney general, and I worked for Speaker Strauss, and I was a reporter during the Rick Rick Terry era and George W. Bush era. And one thing that's been consistent throughout all of these uh, gubernatorial um, leaders has been keeping the Texas economy number one in the nation to do business. And as we have implemented new things uh, along the way, other states copy us and catch up to us. And so this is yet another way from what I look at, how I look at it, for Texas to continue to be the leader um, in innovation, in business activity, in job creation, and continue to be the number one state for doing business. And I'm confident that as we move forward that we will get uh, a coalition of people who are going to understand that. Um, who care about the economy on both sides of the aisle and are going to try to help us achieve these goals. I hope to accomplish them as soon as possible in the next legislative session. Uh, and I believe we'll make significant progress in the next legislative session. I hope to uh, to go all the way. If we don't make it all the way uh, in the next session, I feel like by, by the, the following legislative session that we would be able to to achieve what we're talking about. But I, but I also have a lot of confidence uh, that we can achieve great progress in the 2021 session.
0: I've been speaking with Angela Hale, uh, who is who has led communications efforts for the legalization of gay marriage and has been a leading lobby and communication strategist for Equality Texas since 2015. Angela, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We will take a short break, and we will be back after the break with more on politics.
1: Ever find yourself wishing you didn't have to miss your favorite radio show? Well, wish no more because KTRL 90.5 FM is now streaming online. Tune in to catch your favorite broadcasts and shows live right at home from your computer or mobile device. To listen, please visit tarletonradio.com or click listen live at ktrl.fm.
0: Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and we want to thank again Angela uh, for joining us uh, with the interview regarding the recent Supreme Court decisions uh, on workplace protections for persons who identify as LGBT or Q. Uh, We will track that issue and look at what happens in the next legislative session, especially with the focus and the the, uh, agenda that... Uh, she laid out in terms of trying to influence uh, public accommodation laws in Texas. So on another related topic that I want to look at is one that I've given some attention to and research over the years and actually uh, has seen some movement in the halls of the legislature, uh, and that is the issue of sex education in public schools. Uh, This uh, issue has, uh, while it's been out there, while it continues to be controversial and challenging in the state, it has been over two decades. So it's been since 1997 uh, since the state has revised any of its policies regarding uh, sex and health education. And now they're going through a process of review and and looking at recommendations Uh, to, to make some changes. And so as with uh, some other social issues that are very similar, especially what we talked about in the first half of the show, uh, this issue has, has always been and continues to be very, very controversial in the state, uh, primarily because of the way the law is structured, the way it's focused, and, and really looking at what Texas does in comparison with other states across the country. Uh, So this uh, past week, members of the Texas State Board of Education uh, began a process of taking a testimony uh, to uh, look at support uh, for various changes that are being considered. Now, before we get into that, and before we talk about some of the different views that are trying to influence those outcomes, uh, one of the things that we need to do is, is understand what the current law is in Texas and what guidance uh, the, uh, the law provides two public school districts. And you have to remember, in Texas, we have independent uh, public school systems. So independent districts. I always ask my students in the classroom when we're focusing on local government, why do we call them independent school districts? And what are they independent from? And they all kind of look at me like, uh, what are you talking about? Even though they went to a public school and that, that name was used. It's on our buses. It's in the, uh, the name of the school district. Uh, and no one usually can tell me, but that goes back to the post reconstruction constitution of the state, uh, with the focus of returning control of public education at the local level, uh, to local communities. And so the independent is actually independent from the state. Uh, So we have this long history of local uh, public education being just that, uh, being local, being controlled by local school boards. And to a certain degree, that has remained in place, even though that we see certain standards uh, in terms of testing, uh, teacher, uh, certification standards, and many other things that are directed by the Texas Education Agency. we still see a level of autonomy or independence, we could say, uh, that local school districts have. And that is really what is represented in the current laws on health and sexuality education, as we would say, uh, in public schools. And so just a quick overview of that, just so that people understand uh, what the law says, you can find this in the uh, Texas Education Code Section 28 uh, it is in section 004 that deals with local school health advisory councils and health education instruction. And really this law comes out of a, a perspective that that uh, sex education is connected to health education. Uh, but we'll see that the, that's a, that doesn't really hold through except in kind of the standards and, and the, the way that the state has wanted school districts to address this issue. So the law requires public schools to teach health education, uh, including a parenting and paternity awareness program. And local school districts are free to kind of develop their health education program in partnership with what is called in the law a local school health advisory council. So each school district uh, has to develop one of these councils, uh, that in the law, and this is what the law itself, itself says, was help helps to ensure that community values are reflected in the instruction. So you can see that this is very much uh, at the local level. Uh, it is it is focused uh, on the advisory this advisory council that then offers guidance to the school district on r- what reflects the values uh, in that community. Uh, school districts are not permitted to change health education policies uh, or to choose to teach sexuality and HIV AIDS education without considering the input of this local council. So again, here we have something that uh, is very much connected to the way we've done public education in this state, especially with the focus on uh, the, the, the independent aspect of it, that that local schools have a certain amount of say and, and control Of course, the law here is directing them how to do it. It's saying have a local advisory council that then has input and recommendations on what should be taught in that specific uh, school. Uh, So the local school health advisory council is there to assist the district uh, with uh, interpreting or applying what they see are local community values. uh, And that, that those values are reflected in the district's health education instruction. Regarding uh, sex education or human sexuality, uh, pregnancy, uh, disease prevention, and so on, uh, these are the guidelines that come out of the law that influence how school districts uh, adopt a curriculum and approach these topics. Uh, So they must present sexual abstinence as the preferred behavior uh, for unmarried students. The second thing is that they focus more on abstinence than on any other behavior, and then third, they emphasize that consistent, consistent abstinence before marriage is the only method that is 100% effective in preventing pregnancy, STDs, HIV, AIDS, and, quote, the emotional trauma associated with adolescent sexual activity, okay, so that's actually uh, in the law itself. Uh, so, we've got two features here, the Health Advisory Council then we've got the the guidelines which are very much focused on abstinence-based education and then you have the the final one and that is that parental notification and in the law itself it requires districts that choose to teach human sexuality so again this is a th- th- there's there there's a there's guidelines and there's direction and there's a framework uh, but but it's not required that every district do this the same way. There's not a uniform education across the state, but those that choose to do that must provide instructional materials for public review. And then parents and guardians must be notified of material content and their right to deny such instruction. So the the, the parental can, the parents can opt out. Uh, they can opt their student out of this education, depending on the content and, what they see in terms of its value. So there, there, what we see here are are a lot of uh, our guidelines that are, uh, and really because it's in the directives based on the law uh, of how districts can go about doing this. And so this topic has continued to be challenging in the state. Uh, One is because Texas has one of the highest teen pregnancy rates uh, in the country. Uh, So when you look at Texas compared to other states, Uh, we definitely see some challenges there. The data also shows that approximately 40% of Texas high school students report having had sex, uh, in the, in the recent past, but less than half of those Uh, Use condoms, and a a small percentage use birth control pills, and so the the data just shows this to this high rate of teen pregnancy. So on the one side, you have advocates and people who have said this abstinence-based education or limited health education with very little attention to human sexuality uh, is not sufficient. It 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 creates other challenges uh, because of uh, the high rate of sexual activity among. Uh, high school students, uh, as well as uh, the lack of knowledge about using prevention methods and so forth. So this has been gaining attention over decades now, and part of the reason in reviewing this is to look at how sex education and the options there in this law uh, can be expanded uh, to give more directive to school districts about moving beyond abstinence-based education. Uh, right now in the state, there are only 17% of Texas school districts that are teaching abstinence plus. So that means that they're not just a teaching about abstinence, but they're also teaching about other aspects of this, including prevention, including disease prevention, disease prevention, as well as uh, safe sex practices and so on. Uh, and so, 17%, and, you, and you, if you look at that across the state, with Uh, given the number of school districts that we have, I think there's uh, approximately 1,200 school districts, uh, and you see the challenges here, and then the challenges that that brings among our uh, teenage population, uh, as well as the other uh, related healthcare needs and and issues, uh, you can see that this is quite a significant issue. Uh, So we go back to what the Texas State Board of Education is doing with these hearings, and so, Uh, this past week over 200 people registered uh, to speak at these hearings and they were able to hear about 40 of them and they were focused very much on how to expand the boundaries uh, in what they are teaching and so the boundaries itself are as we described in the law uh, very uh, kind of narrowly defined or very narrowly focused on abstinence based and promoting that uh, above all things but what's being considered is uh, should the requirement be expanded so that there is additional uh, education that's offered on uh, safe practices, as well as uh, disease prevention um, and pregnancy prevention and so on. Uh, this is where the, kind of the focus is there. There are not any uh, th- there's not anything in the draft proposal that at this point that addresses uh, issues of sexual orientation or gender identity. So here we have a connection with the first part of the, of the show today, and that is that there are many who are advocating that there should be more. It shouldn't just not be expanding sex education in terms of safe practices and, and, and prevention, uh, as much as it, it should also include uh, dealing with uh, issues and education about general, gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, That adds to the controversy. And this is why I'm focusing on this issue today and trying to make it, uh, explain it a little bit more in detail because it's a very multifaceted issue that has both supporters and opponents uh, on both sides and coming at it from from many different ways. And so we've had for for a long time now, uh, we've had many people advocating that it needed to be broadened. Uh, that that sex education needs to be broadened. And really, when you look at polls, I think it's about 78% of the public now, public opinion polls in Texas, their support for broadening sex education in public schools. About 65% of of those in the legislature, especially, uh, and I think this is among those who identify as Republican, that might have more conservative views on this issue Uh, uh, see that it needs to be broadened just because of the challenges of the role of governance and government in uh, addressing some of these issues, especially dealing with teen pregnancy uh, and and other things as well. So there there seems to be growing support uh, to expand this. Uh, The challenge is, is that you have some very vocal opponents and those opponents are in, in two primary areas or they have two different elements of opposition here. One element of opposition is the focus on abstinence based education. So you have uh, a number of groups and a number of people that their focus is on maintaining uh, that in our education system. uh, It's not the responsibility of school districts and teachers uh, to teach sex education other than to focus on abstinence. And that other elements of that are things that are more appropriate to be addressed by parents, uh, guardians, and within the home. Uh, so, this has been a, a long standing argument uh, related to sex education. And it's one that continues to come to the forefront. In fact, some of the people who testified before the uh, Texas State Board of Education uh, continue to advocate in this way that nothing needs to be changed. If, in fact, anything, it needs to be. Uh, even tighter in its focus on uh, abstinence-based uh, education. The other side of this, and this is really what I don't see is even on the table at this point because it's not being considered in the drafts of the revisions, uh, and that is dealing with gender, gender identity and sexual orientation. And so this, this even becomes more controversial, and as we were talking about in the first half of the show and looking at uh, workplace protections and, and some of the challenges in the state, Um, related to uh, protections that uh, for people who identify as LGBT or Q, uh, as well as dealing with these broader issues of gender identity and sexual orientation, uh, there there remains very strong opposition uh, in that regard. And I think we would probably see more of that in this mix uh, if if the drafts had any inclination that there was going to be Uh, gender identity or sexual orientation dealt or or allowance for that uh, directive for that. And and, and you see, part of this we have to understand is the, the law provides some boundaries and it provides some direction, but there's a lot of latitude there in what school districts can do. And so we see a lot of diversity around the state and those schools that have tried to move further along this spectrum of a broader sex education have uh, engaged with much more opposition uh, than other districts that have really kind of left it alone and and under the direction of their advisory councils have limited uh, what they're doing in the classroom. And so that's where I want to take a moment here in this process and in in discussing this issue to look at uh, Texas compared to the rest of the country. And one of the things that that we have to understand uh, in this is that uh, one, it's how Texas appears on paper in terms of what the law says and what school districts can do, but also look at the reality of it. And we've looked at the reality to say, okay, only 17% of our school districts are doing abstinence plus education, even though uh, Texas, if you look at it in comparison with many other states, allows certain things, but it doesn't necessarily require these things. The, the, the first and foremost requirement is certainly health education uh, and that uh, if there is uh, human sexuality education that that focuses on uh, abstinence under the direction of these local advisory councils. So one of the places that I go and I would just recommend this to you on many of these social issues is the uh, website of the Guttmacher Institute. So that's G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R.org. And I will put this on our Facebook site so that you can link to it and see on this issue and and many others as well. But when we look at the information there, we can see that there are 39 states and the District of Columbia that mandate sex education and or HIV education. Uh, 30 states mandate that when provided, uh, sex and HIV education programs meet certain general requirements. And then 40 states require school, school districts to involve parents in uh, sex education, HIV education, or both. Now, when we go to the comparative, when we look at Texas alongside other states, uh, you can see that the, the boxes are checked. Is sex education mandated? Yes. Is HIV education mandated? Uh, Yes. Uh, we skip over and we talk about, uh, when provided, uh, sex education must be medically accurate. No, there's no language that addresses that Be age appropriate. Yes. Be culturally appropriate and unbiased. Again, there's no guidance on that. Um, cannot promote religion. There's no restriction on that. Uh, where, where you do have some religious traditions that would promote uh, abstinence that were, is where that falls in line. Uh, parental consent, yes, they must be given notice and the op- opportunity to opt out uh, if they do not want their child uh, to participate uh, in that uh, education. Uh, the other part of this, when we look at other, uh, area, other parts of the state, is that um, content requirements Contraception, yes, that can be taught. Again, only 17% of districts are moving beyond the basic uh, abstinence-focused sex education. Uh, Abstinence stressed in Texas, yes. Importance of sex only within marriage, yes. Uh, Sexual orientation, no, that's not addressed at all. Um, uh, Condoms, yes. Abstinence, yes. When uh, provided this is talking about HIV education now. And then finally, the last data set, and again, I'll link to this so that you can look at it, uh, and that is uh, sex education to include life skills on sexual consent, relationships, and prevention of, bu- of violence. Texas, yes, emphasize healthy relationships. Yes, emphasize sexual decision making and self discipline. Uh, yes, refusal skills and personal boundaries. Consent is not uh, uh, necessarily a part of it. Dating and sexual violence prevention is. So you can see on the on the national scale, Texas checks a lot of the boxes. But when you look at the way that this is implemented within the state, and you see that these local advisory councils, based on community values, uh, is in place, and we've talked about how that's the case. So this becomes a much more um, complicated and and certainly much more diverse in how this is approached throughout the state. So, where I would leave this is, and we'll wait the the decision of the State Board of Education, which will be in November, to finalize this new guidance, Uh, but where we leave with this is that there is support for broadening sex education in the state, uh, the support for focusing more, giving more attention to gender identity and sexual orientation. Uh, is, is not as strong uh, but there is attention being given to this issue and some movement on it after many many years and many school districts uh, trying to address these issues primarily at the local level uh, under the guidance provided by the state. I want to thank you for joining us today uh, for this edition of on politics. I uh, invite you to be back with us next week. We are going to have at least one guest and maybe two, Uh, where we'll be looking at the challenges related to statues and memorials uh, during this current focus on racial injustice uh, and other issues. Again, thank you for joining us and we will see you again at this time on KTRL FM 90.5 next week. Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.